Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Forty-six. Forty-six to nine. Forty-six to nine. Okay, let's start over. Forty-six to nine. Forty-six. year for Jerry Goff, and of course the first year for new head coach Sean McVay, 46-9 to win over the visiting, albeit uh, severely injured Indianapolis Colts. Not something that we should take away from the Rams, but something we need to keep in context as we move forward and look ahead to the rest of the season. But joining me for the podcast tonight is everybody's favorite St. Louis resident, Myson Adisola. What's up, Myson? What's going on, Joe? Another man. How is uh, the day going for you? The day is going good. It's not going as good as it went on Sunday. Sunday was nice. <laughs> Sunday was, Sunday nice was comfortable. Sunday was nice. Sunday was and, and you know the best part of Sunday for me, one of my best friends is a Colts fan, and he was, he was telling me how the Lambs, as he said it, the Lambs are still going to lose, <laughs> even without Andrew Luck. Why did he do that to me, though? Why would you do that? I have no clue why. He, he must have a lot of faith in Scott Sozina. I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he he definitely maybe he, he definitely maybe he didn't know that the Colts were playing the Forty ers He got confused. <laughs> right. Apparently, the Lamb, as he put it, you know, they were going to take that L. So yeah, that was easy twenty dollars. <laughs> Friendly wages. They always yeah, do, man. Man, right? Well, oh yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I'd say this. I think. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily uh, – what's the right word? Discredit your friend for going off of past performances. I think we all wouldn't have been shocked. We talked about the game. We wouldn't have been shocked had the Rams found a way not to get it done on Sunday. But, in fact, it was quite the opposite. And now we all yeah. need to recalibrate things 
and figure out what the hell's going on because we may be in uncharted waters for Rams football over the last 15 years. <laughs> I know that's that's weird to say, right? <laughs> it's kind of free. It's very weird. <laughs> that is that's that, that that's been so long that somebody can actually say that that it's legitimately uncharted waters. I mean. Some of the stuff that they did yesterday, um, I mean, they they didn't allow a single third down conversion. I mean, forget the Rams. What team has done that in the past fifteen years? <laughs> like that was that was a pretty impressive performance. If I say so myself, I forget who said it on Twitter. Somebody said, somebody asked, "Who's the worst offensive line in the uh, NFL?" And I said, for the first time in a long time, we can say that we know it's not the Rams. <laughs> this is a fact. This is a fact. You know the biggest surprise to me that the best graded offensive lineman for the Rams yesterday was Jamal Brown. Who could say they saw that coming? No, not Jamal Brown. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. This, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we talked about in the preseason. It's hard to figure out what the hell's going on, but we got regular season football, and it looked good in very unexpected ways. That might be chief among. That might be the most unexpected. Speaking of unexpected, man, you had a tragedy. You had a tragedy in the electronic family. Yeah. What happened? You know, know, it's weird. I was thinking about this earlier. The past few weeks, as far as it comes to technical difficulties with the show, (laughs) nobody has me beat. (laughs) I've had all the technical difficulties. I'm watching the nephew yesterday. My sister was like, hey, you want to watch Chase and Colin for a few hours? Sure. No problem. They can watch football with Uncle Mike. No big deal. They come over and we're chilling out. Everything's going smooth. And all of a sudden last night, all I hear is, oh, and it's the two-year-old. They're two and eight. They're like, oh, and I look over, and the two-year-old is sitting there at the computer, and he looks at me, and I look at Chase, and Chase looks at the two-year-old. And I was like, what would you do? <laughs> and I walk over there, and there's Gatorade all over my laptop, <laughs> like the whole thing. It, it didn't even look like he spilled it. It looked like he just turned it upside down and poured it in there. <laughs> just poured it out. The whole Gatorade gold. And the the worst part about it is, the worst part is it was my Gatorade. It wasn't even his. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that's the worst. The worst part is I didn't have my Gatorade. I ran for the Gatorade. <laughs> I got like two sips out of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely destroyed the, the laptop. I was going to take it to the Geek Squad today. didn't have time, so we're going to see what they say tomorrow on lunch. Hopefully they can fix it. The Geek Squad is usually pretty good at these things. I'm not so. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how often the Geek Squad has to deal with Gatorade, or I, you gotta think it's gotta be pretty frequent, right? Just a liquid, a liquid and, and, dump and, and, on the computer. That's gotta be one of the top ones. If you deal with any sort of kids in your life and you have electronics, there's a good chance that you have had some right. type of liquid going to those electronics. <laughs> there's a very, very good chance that it's happened. So I'm pretty sure the Geek Squad has that. Uh, Pretty commonly, maybe who knows? Maybe Gatorade has a different formula to where it's like better to get in your electronic than water. <laughs> it, it saves right. it. it. Doesn't doesn't screw you over as bad. But we'll see. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. But it turns on. It's just I can't see anything. <laughs> it's, it's black. <laughs> Screen is not working Ugh. at all. <laughs> I hear it clicking, Man. but that's about it. <laughs> Well, but whatever. I'll, live. I'll pull. I'll pull one out for the laptop, man. But in the meanwhile, we might need to pull one out. Pull one out for Colts fans. Give them yes. what we saw on Sunday. Where do we want to start, man? Where do we want to start? Oh, um, I think we got to start with Jerry Goff. Everybody's favorite subject yeah. all season long, outside of Sean McVay. We're gonna get to McVay. 
There's plenty to talk about with McVay. He said some interesting things sure. after the game. I know that you liked. I definitely liked. But, yeah, we're going to get to McVay. But, yeah, you got to start with Jared Goff. Jared Goff was uh, – uh, what's the word? It's, it's hard to give a word, you know, for golf when mm-hmm. you you were so used to one version of golf and there was no middle ground. It was just a complete leap to what you saw yesterday. Here's the thing. Sure. My – what I said – pregame, you know, when I did the, the I posted the article on the site, you know, for scouting the coach, I said in that article that this is a very young secondary. They actually have one of the youngest sex starting secondaries in the NFL. They only have one true veteran, and that's uh, Darius, uh, Darius Butler. After that, everyone's in their first year or second year. Well, bes- so besides Vontae second- Davis, who was injured, but yeah. Who, who was injured, yeah, that, that's what I meant as far as right. who was starting in that game. Right. You know, everyone else was first or second year, you know, and Darius Butler was their third quarter, uh, corner, you know, so you expected them to be able to hit some shots, but I don't think anyone expected it to be that good, you know, even when it looked like it was going to be bad, like Jared Goff sacking himself, <laughs> he just falls, right, right, right. he still completes the pass, and it's just like, wow, what, you know, it, things that look like they're about to go wrong didn't quite go wrong, you know, it was like everything was clicking for him, and he seemed to have had, I don't know how, but built this good rapport with Simi Watkins. Watkins went five for five. He caught every pass that went his, came his way, five for five, 58 yards. You know, so there was a good rapport with Watkins in a month, <laughs> a month's time. Him and Cooper Cup, I think we all saw in the preseason, had good chemistry. That continued over into the regular season. Uh, Cooper Cup sucks, by the way. How dare him drop that pass? Why do we spend a third round on this? Like, really? <laughs> drop just gonna drop their pass, huh? <laughs> no, Cooper Cup had a great game. And then, you know, you, you look at what he was able to do with Robert Woods and the tight ends and getting the ball to Todd Gurley. I mean, he really used his check downs really well. So and he trusted Very his well. receivers. That was that was the thing I liked the most about it. He trusted his receivers. You know, the pass he threw to Gerald Everett Everett covered. He trusted that Everett was going to make that catch, and he did. You know, he pushed it downfield a lot, and I, I liked it. But his throw today was definitely the – that was a beautiful throw. I mean, he threaded the needle, hit him in stride, crossed him into the end zone. That was gorgeous. What would you think about us? Uh, I'll, say, I'll say – well, I'll say three things. Number one, he didn't make a ton of difficult contested throws. The Everett one was one because when he released it, it was well before the separation. There was another one. Right. And I tweeted, I thought, it was, I thought it was the most important throw of the game was the one he threw to Cooper Cup, where it was essentially a 50-50 bowl, where Cup wasn't open, yeah. and he was completely the, the, covered. The jump ball downfield, right? He, he just threw it up, and he, was, he threw it up as a jump ball, expecting Cup to make a play. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that's kind of indicative of, you know, golf and kind of the, the team's belief in what Cooper Cup can do. When you, when you throw that ball – you're not throwing it because he's open. You're not throwing it because he's going to be open. You're just saying, okay, we know he's one-on-one, and we feel that the worst that could happen is it goes incomplete because Cooper is going to get up and make some kind of a play on it better than whoever's covering it. Uh, so I thought that was, that, that was the most important throw, but overall those were only really the, maybe the only two throws that really you know, had any kind of risk factor. Everything else was either checkdowns or – Guys that were just wide open. I thought that was really interesting. Well, you know, the touchdown to Cooper Cup. Uh, you had a bunch of Sammy Watkins work to play action to Sammy Watkins, and, and you got to credit Matt Lafleur and Sean McVay for this. Guys were just wide, wide open, man. And, and, and I get it. You know, the Colts, like you mentioned, young secondary and dealing with Vontae Davis out. 
But between the coaching and the preparedness, clearly we had an edge up on that side of things because it made things much, much, much easier for golf. And then kind of the third thing is going into the late, and obviously, you know, you pull them because we were up so much. Uh, something I mentioned on Twitter earlier, somebody had said, I think it was Austin, Austin Wilson had mentioned the idea of not crediting any of our offense to the Colts just because Andrew Luck was missing. And I disagree with that. I think part of what it did and part of, you know, just the performance from Scott Tolzien allowed us to get such a lead that Jared Goff didn't have to make any tough. There was no, there was no reason for him. When we looked at the spray chart, uh, you know, where so much of what he was throwing was within five yards of the line of scrimmage, it's because it was working, right? We ended up, we ended up winning the game right. 46 to nine. When you're having that much success, there's no reason for you to push the ball downfield. There's no reason for you to make risky throws, you know, 15, 20 yards downfield. You're winning the game by 30. Just, you know, maintain your time of possessions, get a couple drives together, and that's exactly what we did. So I think one of the things was this game just came way too easily. for the. I mean, that's a good thing. I, 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 I'm happy to have 15 more games that come way too easily to the <laughs> offense. But, but in a game, I know we'll get to this, in a game when we had nothing going on the ground and, and you didn't right. have to force anything downfield, that's a relatively unique situation. And I don't know that we're going to see, you know, many first halves like this where, you know, the game plan was relatively vanilla for a regular season game, executed well. Get, you know, give Jared Goff credit, 21 to 29, got over 300 yards, got his first career win. He was doing what the offense was asking him to do. The thing is, like, the degree of difficulty. When you talk about degree of difficulty for, like, Olympic sports, the degree of difficulty for this offensive game plan on Sunday was very low. And I don't know that that's going to be something that we're going to see throughout the season. But that being said, for the degree of difficulty that it was, he did, a, he did a hell of a job. He did better than he's done in any NFL game so far. And whether you want to credit that to Jared Goff or the coaching staff, Sean McVay, whether you want to give some credit to the Colts for being absolutely horrible, you know, I think it's probably a mix of all the above. But ultimately, yeah, he played a, he played a fine, fine game. Okay, so here's my question to you before we move forward. So what would you consider to be more challenging? Because, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, it was either five of six or six of seven of his passes that went 15 yards or more downfield he completed. So he only had one incompletion going six or, or 15 yep. yards or more downfield on uh, six or seven attempts, one of the two. And – all of those was contested. All of them, sure. except for one, and that was the one where Cooper Cup got the one-hand catch, um, and that was beautiful play design more than anything. They, Incred- uh, and, and great play by Cup, man. It was a double. It, it was a double play action. Oh yeah, great, great, great hand-eye coordination. Just kind of staying with it, but it was a um, it was a double play action. You know, they faked it up the middle to Gurley, then faked the end around to Tavon, then he just dumped it out. 18 yards in the field, 218, and then he picked up an extra five yards after that, you know, after not going down on what looked like was going to be a kill shot. You know, you know so right. outside of that one pass, um, I, I thought he did a pretty good job of, you know, hitting some difficult throws. Like I said, that throw to Cooper Cup, the touchdown, was uh, that's not a easy nice. throw. He threaded, he threaded it in between the two linebackers that was playing underneath, and Cooper Cup was behind yeah. or beat the, beat the, beat the, the corner but the two linebackers were right there. He threaded it in between them, hit him perfect in stride. I thought that was a, a beat the beat the corner might be a bit of an understatement. I've seen him hit last year. <laughs> true, true. Well, you know the New Orleans game, he he had it, but certainly with any consistency. And the first game out, no, I'd agree with you. I think I think what we're yeah. looking at in terms of what what he's going to need to do when it gets harder. 
I'd look at it from this perspective. Look at it, what the Colts didn't do. Number one, pass rush. Who, hey, right. Jerry Goff had all the time. All he game, was and credit the Rams' that. offensive line. You, yeah, hey, yeah. hey, you know what he, he did? did the Rams' you know offensive did? What's up? He, he had himself. He had himself a bruh man sandwich. He had time to make a sandwich back then. <laughs> <laughs> the reference, the bruh man reference for the week. <laughs> he did though. I mean, he had so much time to work. And so you think about the the cup throw for the touchdown. If if you get pressure on that throw, it's a very it's a much much harder throw to make to stand in there and make that throw. Knowing and this is the way NFL football is supposed to be played. You're supposed to know that contact is coming on that throw. And that you right. got to stand yeah. in the pocket and take it and still make it. He didn't. That wasn't the challenge on Sunday. The challenge on Sunday was just stand there and make it like you're in practice and nobody's allowed to touch you. Uh, and he did. Yeah. So you know, give Jared Goff credit, but again, degree of difficulty just not there. And especially when you talk about pressure, going through reads. He had enough time to sit there and wait and look at go through Sammy Watkins. Okay, where's this at? Oh, I've got Gerald Everett down the sideline. Let me make this throw. Why? Because he had enough time to do it. When that, when that internal clock, and I don't know if you saw any of the Browns game, a lot of people have been criticizing Deshaun Kaiser in his first start for holding on to the right. ball too long, where he was doing the same thing, but unlike Jared Goff, he didn't get that time to do it, right? And so that we, we all know there are going to be games coming up where he's not going to get that much comfort uh, in the pocket. Absolutely. And, and, and doing, doing the same thing that he did, but under more duress and under more physical pressure, that's going to up the challenge. Number two – it's coverage. You talked about Cooper Cup on that touchdown. He didn't beat the – he embarrassed that cut. And I, I saw Greg Doyle, the uh, writer for the Star, Indianapolis' newspaper, said, wait a second, Cooper Cup ran, what, a four six five forty, And the corner covering him <laughs> ran a four three two or something? And Cooper Cup is running away from him? How does that happen, right? That, that's the kind of thing Good route that, that other teams are – yeah, well, that other teams are going to get right that the Colts did. When the coverage is tighter and that window's tighter, when you can, yeah. the, the throw you were talking about, the Cooper Cup, where he kind of bobbled it, you don't get to bobble yeah. a lot of those. A lot, a lot of teams, that kill shot's going to be coming much, much quicker, right? And you don't, right. you don't get to bobble those, or you're going to get your guy hurt. That's what's going to be what's going to change the calculus and, you know, make the degree of difficulty on future challenges a little bit harder for Jerry Goff. Here's a question that I have for you. And I was thinking about this yesterday as I was watching it because he was, Jerry Goff was doing a good job executing the offense, but he was doing When you say somebody's executing the offense, a quarterback, the term we always come up with is game manager. Is Jerry right. Goff going to be a, either a good or, for good or for worse? And it doesn't mean that, you know, you can, you can win playoff games. You can win Super Bowls with a game manager quarterback, but is that mm-hmm. what Jerry Goff is going to be as a game manager? You know what? It's far too early. And I learned at a very younger age to never make this judgment. Here's why. I made the judgment with one player, and I was so ridiculously wrong. Do you remember when Ben Roethlisberger was a young pup? (laughs) It didn't look like he was ever going to be more than a game manager. It didn't look like he was ever going to be an elite quarterback. You know, I thought he was a good quarterback. It was going to be a good quarterback. But for the first five, four or five years of his career, it did not look like he was going to be the Ben Roethlisberger he is today where he will light you up. <laughs> that just did not look like that was going to be the case. And I remember telling my dad, and he will not let, let this go to this day, which is why I don't make these predictions <laughs> anymore. But <laughs> I remember telling my dad that I don't think Andrew Luck ever going to throw for 4,200 yards. Well, he does it mm. almost every year now. <laughs> you know, so – so I, I definitely I, I see why you would act that because I've thought about the same thing like a lot this offseason, believe it or not. <laughs> I've thought about it a whole yeah. lot. 
you know, what type of quarterback is Jared Goff going to develop into. And it's still too early. Uh, what I saw yesterday, um, I saw a guy who was a, kind of a mixed bag. Um, one thing I will say is, uh, as far as the points you're making, which I don't disagree with at all. It was easy competition, but it's still NFL competition, you know. But sure. one thing about good teams, good players, good quarterbacks, all that stuff, when you face easy competition, you dominate. <laughs> you absolutely yep. kill it, you know, which is what they did. Now, does that mean that they reach that certain level where they're going to dominate and absolutely kill it all the time on that level? I don't know. We'll see. But – they did do a great job with it, and that's why I say you got to you kind of have to give them a little bit of uh, credit in that regard, you know. So I look at it, and I say they went out, they executed, they did the way they did it the way they were supposed to do. That, if anything, should give you a glimmer of hope because that's something that we didn't see in the past. <laughs> when they had yeah. teams that was wounded and on their last life source, <laughs> they they didn't always go out there and execute. You know, so that, that was that was, a, and it wasn't just execution. They didn't just go out there and win twenty-four to nine. They went out there and put it on them. You know, so that's that was impressive. The other part of that is Jared Goff showed me game manager, and then he showed me taking over a game. You know, there were some balls he threw where I was just like, wow, that was a complete strike. Like, you know, who he was putting it on some guys. Um, the thing that the pass that I liked the most, um, it was very simple. It was a check down, but it was very clutch. It was, the, it was the one time that I could think of throughout the entire game where there was pressure barreling down, and he didn't panic. He didn't take the sack. He didn't get hit. Well, he got hit, but he released the ball, and he made the right throw. And it was a check down to Todd Gurley where Todd Gurley was crossing. Todd Gurley made a great catch, all hands, defender right there on his butt, made a great catch, ran across, got out of bounds, like a seven- or nine-yard pickup. You know, but it was just the yeah. clutchness of it. He was very poised. You know, that wasn't something we saw from – Jerry Goff last year, which showed me that this whole working with uh, Sean McVay and the offensive-minded coaching staff is really paying dividends. You can you can literally end that one play. And I remember watching it, and I was just like, this is a completely different quarterback from what we saw last year, which I expected. I've said that all offseason. I expect him to improve, but my question all offseason was how much improvement are we going to see? And I thought we saw a good amount of improvement, enough to give a little bit of hope. But, again, I agree with you. Yeah, it was against lesser competition than what you would have normally expect on opening day more than anything. On opening day, you would expect a fully healthy secondary, ready to roll, you know, but they didn't have that. So we shall we shall see how he performed. They have a, they have a, quite an interesting um, path over the next next month as far as secondaries go. So we'll see. They, they get they get Josh Norman and D'Angelo Hall that group this upcoming week. So we'll see how we'll see how he does then. Now, we talked Jared Goff, man. We talked some of the offense and, you know, maybe put an asterisk because of degree, difficulty, those kind of things <laughs> on offense. Go. The defense, the deep dog, that defense, we, we, we covered the whole football outsiders almanac thing and the idea that they had us going to be – they had us looking at a playoff uh, contention situation late in the season, not because well, offense was going to be any good. I think they still had them as a bottom five offense. But they had us making a jump from the 15th best offense in 2016 to second overall. And when the Almanac yeah. came out, I, I've, seen, I've seen Wade Phillips improve defenses, and I had no problem, you know, projecting us 15th to 10th, 15th to 8th. You know, the top 10 defense. There's nothing to scoff at. That's the kind of a defense that can get you in the playoffs. They had us going up to second. Right. Yesterday right. was the kind of performance 
that validates that. Yesterday on defense, the defense outplayed the offense. The defense outplayed everybody. Yesterday the defense was complete. It was, it was. I mean, you talked about domination. It was more dominant. It scored as many points as the offense did until Malcolm Brown got a late touchdown. The defense was, it was scary good, man. So let me ask you this, okay? Because this is this is something I've thought about a lot over the last 24 hours. So as far as the projection of being the second-ranked defense, would you say that that has more to do with the name Wade Phillips as opposed to what the product is on the field? Because here's here's one thing that I want everyone to keep in mind. Outside of the not allowing a single third down, we've seen this defense have these type of performances before with these same players, with the exception of a few players that's not there anymore, but – We've seen this before from this defensive unit. You know, we've seen them have back-to-back shutouts and things like that. But these type of projections wasn't coming. So would you say that this is probably because more so name than actual product? And if that's the case, how much faith do we want to put into that? Well, for Football Outsiders it was because I asked them specifically about that. They said, yeah, it's pretty much on Wade Phillips' effect. That he that that's what he does. He go he goes in and immediately has an impact on defenses. Now, long term, sometimes there's a bit of an attrition. Uh, once you know people start to adjust to his defense, and maybe he doesn't get you know the right draft hits from his front office that he's hoping for. Right. But yeah, quite clearly, his history has suggested that his effect on a team in his first year is pretty overwhelming, and that's what they projected almost overwhelmingly that jump from 15th to second about part of it also was a regret that the, the defense didn't play up to standard last year, whether that was Greg Williams fault sure. or not as the defensive coordinator, they thought that, you know, it, it, all things considered, it should have been about 10th overall. And because they were at 15th, it was naturally going to have a kind of a regression to the mean and jump back up. But coupled with Wade Phillips influence, they had it going second. Here's what I The one thing you got to remind people, Aaron Donald didn't play yesterday, man. At some point, Aaron Donald's going to be on the field with this team. And, and you, I mean, we talk about the pass rush. You had Aaron Donald to yesterday? I can't, I can't even imagine. You know, the Rams had four sacks. Uh, like you said, 0 for 10 on third down. Uh, held them to 150 yards passing. It was 75 yards rushing. It was just a complete dominant defensive performance. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you can add to that except to say, look, yeah, you 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 kind of just need to look past it and look forward and say what's next because th- this was as complete and near perfect as you can possibly ask for. If you're going to get this on the regular, that might change things. And I mean, who knows? You know, we we got to we got to see moving forward. Like you said, is yeah, this something yeah. we should we got to readjust to to set the bar to? I don't know, but if we do, that could change things. Oh, so leave it to me to. You know me. I will watch a game, and the game is three hours, and it'll take me five hours to watch the whole thing because I'm rewinding, slowing things down, and all that stuff. I called him the the Rams kryptonite last week, <laughs> and I stand by that. Frank Gore is Ram kryptonite. Um, he actually looked really good, and the reason I mentioned that is because you have to think about it in this light because, as we've said, we both agree you're not going to have these blowouts every week. You're not going to go against a bunch of wounded animals every single week, you know, um, starting this week. <laughs> you're not going to go against a super wounded team. Um, with that being said, not uh, part of the reason that the Rams were able to get away from this part of their defense that looked like it was a, a negative is because of the huge lead they built so quick they had to get away exactly. from the run. But but prior to getting away from the run, 
Frank Gore was running it down their throats. <laughs> uh, he had some, and it wasn't it big well. runs or anything like it wasn't big runs or anything like that. But it was just he kept getting this four yards, five yards, six yards, yeah. consistently pushing the ball. Um, and you know, let's let's not take anything away from uh, the Rams' defense, but the Colts left points on the field and two opportunities to to score. You know, they missed. Two field goals. One of the field goals shouldn't even been a field goal. They should have been able to punch that in. They got the ball on their own twenty. <laughs> you know, so so uh, and, yeah. And then they did have the touchdown that was completely missed, uh, which they eventually got later on. But they uh, it was completely missed. Where again, he broke to the outside. You saw missed tackles, and he broke the pile line. The referee just missed it, and they didn't challenge. But so that that makes you kind of stand back and say, okay, so when you go against the teams where they're not getting out to the league, and there's a good back in the backfield. That's when you kind of step back and say, okay, what's the outcome going to be? <laughs> you know, one thing that, that really raised my eyebrows was we saw a 33, 34-year-old running back consistently pick, just churning out four, five, six-yard runs. And I'm wondering, like, when we go up against a, a, a younger, <laughs> more younger, fresher back and a team that's not giving up a crazy lead early on, are we still going to see this, or is this something that's going to get fixed? Yeah, and I mean, you look down the schedule, you got Ezekiel Elliott week four, Leonard Fournette week six, and then obviously we'll have to see what David Johnson's status is for week seven with his wrist injury. Right. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. But nonetheless, yeah, we're going to face younger, I guess you could say more talented, not necessarily more talented than Frank Gore, but younger, sniffer challenges, and they're going yeah. to need to step up in uh, bigger ways. One, one person, in, you know, we got this on the run sheet, so we can talk about it from this angle. But I, when we talked about the preseason, I, I forget how you framed the question. I think it was, "What did you appreciate most?" or "What was the, what was the biggest thing that you liked about the preseason?" And my answer was that I forgot that Sean McVay was the youngest head coach in NFL history, or that right. he was a first-time head coach. That there was nothing right. that ever came up to make me say, "Well, that's part of what you know." Those are the growing pains of a first-time head coach. The, yet again first game, I didn't say that once. Sean McVay kind of aced this one, man. You know what? I would definitely agree with that. And the the thing that I like the most, and it's really mind-boggling to me because I've yet to meet Sean McVay. Uh, I don't think you've met Sean McVay. Neither of us have met or talked to Sean McVay. McVay, So all I've heard is um, when you're talking to him, you don't even realize you're talking to someone 31 years old. I'm 29. You know, this guy could have been in the same class as me in high, in high school. We could have had geometry together, <laughs> you know. So it, it's like um, when you hear people talk about him, they're, they're saying that you can't even tell. when you're As far as talking football, you can't even tell that you're talking to a 31-year-old, you know. And one thing that stood out to me was post-game, you know, he went straight to – the offense and just immediately said, we have to run the ball better. We cannot have you. He didn't even, it was like he wasn't even ready to acknowledge the victory. <laughs> it was, we got work to do. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. You just blew the team out. And I don't care if they're wounded or not. When you play that well against any team, no matter what their status is, you played a great game, <laughs> you know, but you, you just blew the team out. And, and that's the most points scored in the opening game. I think since 1954. Okay. <laughs> so, you go in there and the first thing you say is we got work to do. Like he wasn't he wasn't satisfied. You know, which 
was really, really, really uh, different from what you're used to hearing with the previous regime with Jeff Fisher. You know, Jeff Fisher went in there after some wins where we didn't run the ball well or we didn't throw the ball well or something, you know, and he was ecstatic. You know, his in a, in a lot of games, his goal was to win 13-9. to nine. <laughs> You know, that, that was yeah. just oh, yeah. to win, you know. So so if he if he got victory, he was ecstatic, whereas Sean McVay goes in there after – putting up a historic game literally hasn't been a game like this on opening day since 1954, <laughs> you know, uh, he goes in there. He's like, this isn't good enough. He was like, we, we obviously had too many penalties. And then the run game has to be better, which I completely agree with. With that being said, though, I do think the run game, if Jared Goff can continue to throw the ball the way he did. And I think early on in the game, they were stacking the box. They loosened up to cover after he started really clicking they loosened up a little bit, and they started bringing guys out to cover. But early on, it was stack box like they did last year, teams did last year, and the receivers was eating the one-on-one coverage up. And that is something I think is going to change if Jared Goff can continue to play even decent. He doesn't have to do what he did yesterday, but just decent. Um, that will ultimately loosen it up, and we'll see what happens. But Gurley, we're going to get to that. But Sean McVay, I think I, I, that was the thing that I like most about it. Outside of some of the, just the, the play calling that was made in game, I really liked the way he reacted after the game. Very composed, didn't kill the joy, but he made it known we're about to go to work this week. Yeah, I'll give you one situation that's just completely different under Sean McGrady than it was under Fisher, and it was our last possession of the half. The Rams got the ball, uh, three minutes, eight seconds left to go, and I tweeted something about, okay, let's see the three-minute drill. Under Jeff Fisher, we know what it would have been, we would have run the ball to try to get to halftime. We would have ran the ball, killed time, punted it within the 20, trusting our defense just to get to halftime. Uh, This is a different Rams team. (laughs) We went out, you know, two, three plays in a row to Todd Gurley, something I know Steve Weish, if you guys know him, follow him on NFL Network. We've had him (laughs) on the show before. He was ecstatic that Todd Gurley was allowed to touch the ball in consecutive plays. Uh, and it got the Rams all the way down. We we ended up getting into the red zone, but didn't uh, finish off the drive with a touchdown. Still got a field goal, but I think now we're going to have to start considering the calculus change. Now, granted, the Rams were already up 24-3, to 3, so they were under no pressure to really push things. But imagine this right. is a 10-10 to 10 game, and there's three minutes left. I, I could see, and we talked about the degree of d- difficulty where Jerry Goff wasn't really pushing. He's just taking what was getting coming to him, I can see us getting in a 10-10 game where Sean McVay gets on the horn and is saying, guys, we get, look, this is our chance to grab some momentum. We can flip this game. We got to get a touchdown. Let's maybe up the difficult, up the risk factor and see what we can get out of these last three minutes to get us down in the end zone with a little bit more aggression than what we saw. Like you said, we were up so, so much so early that we just kind of had to ride the game out and see what, where it took us because it was so easy and so comfortable that's not going to be the case in every game this season. And so I'm interested to see those three-minute, two-minute, four-minute drills. Um, what else What else do we need to cover from week one before we start looking ahead to week two, man? Okay, we got to talk about Gurley. So, so okay. um, it, <laughs> I know the disappointment, right? It, the disappointment was Well, real, no, real. it's just one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I'd recommend. Everybody can go look at the archives, right? There's a place in our nav bar, the navigation bar at the top of the site right. to find the archives. Go back to last year, 2016, and fi- I posted it three times kind of early in the season, middle of the season, late in the season. It was a three-part series. Should we be worried about Todd Gurley? 
And in the yep. first uh, the first one I asked, I don't know, it was like week three, week four. Everybody's like, no, yeah. there's no reason to worry about Todd Gurley. No, but in the middle of the season, it's like, well, I don't know that we need to be worried about Todd Gurley, but uh, maybe we need to talk about him. By the end of the season, it was where it is now. Like, wait a second. Okay, now hold on. It's been, tw- it's been 26 games. Only one yeah. was more than 80 yards. Something is wrong, right? And some, yeah. that's just what it is. Something's wrong. I mean, I, you mentioned it last year. I mentioned it as well last year. I mean, I wrote the article. Uh, I was doing the, poll, the recap um, after the Cardinals game, and which was game four last year. And I said in that recap that Gurley runs with no vision, no patience, and he had, he lacks shiftiness. He he does He's very stiff as a runner. And oh my gosh, they ate me a new one <laughs> and when I when I said that. And then the next week I posted clips of his runs and I did it again later on in the season. It was still the same thing. And here it is that in the first half of the game, you see uh, they they come out they're stacking the box like they did last year. Okay, fine, let's give them the stack box excuse. But then in the second half they loosened up <laughs> as the the pass game was really clicking. You know they loosened up and they got guys out of the box. And when they got guys out of the box, he still wasn't doing anything with it. In fact, he got worse. His best runs actually came in the first half. You know, he had a couple of runs that got called back, but they all came in the first half where he didn't have any of those in the second half, even as we started running the ball more to run to kill the clock. We just didn't see it. Gurley, my question is, is it time to start considering a new back? Uh, it's well, you know. Look, we got the whole season. I don't know that we can. Right. I think the, I, I, w- I would change the question. Is it time to start considering considering a new back next off season? And you know, I think the answer is not no. I think we got, we got a lot of football left to play, right? And whether it's right. Todd Gurley, Tavon Austin, Robert Quinn, Roger Saffold, there's a lot of guys. Alec Ogletree, you know, there's a lot of guys that we got to make decisions on in you know six months, seven months. I think that are going to be affected by the next 15 games. But clearly what we saw in game one from Todd Gurley opens that door. One of the ways I like to look at, especially running backs and running production is if you take away, if they had one or two good runs and you take it away and you look at the totality of the part, you talked about Frank Gore and the idea of constantly running for three, four, five yards. Right. If you've got a guy that runs 40 yards, 10 rushes, and each one of them's four, that's much better than a guy who ran for one run, 25 yards, and the other nine for 15. Because what it means is you wasted nine rushes and you got one good rush versus the other guy who's giving you quality yards. Todd Gurley had 40 yards on 19 carries. One of those runs was for 12 yards. So the other 18 runs went for just 28 yards, man. That's ho- I mean, that's horrible. There's just not another exactly. word. It's just absolutely horrible. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to assign that to, but, but I, I think we would all agree. If the question is, do we need to consider a new running back? If you're going, if you're looking at performances like this, and, and they're getting more and more, you know, concurrent, and, and we're we're looking at these not as the anomaly, but as the expectation, then the answer is going to start getting closer to yes. And you know, my thing is, I'm always going to go back to it. You can point out, you can say things about the O line all you want, but we've seen worse O lines than this, <laughs> and we still see a thousand yard rusher. You know, so you have to take those things into consideration because you know that it can be done. You know that if you're a good enough runner, you can get the job done, you know, but you're just not seeing that at all. And you're not seeing him get better. That's the scariest thing about it. 
I can I can accept it as a rookie. You know, you have those first four games, which I said after the season, those first four games kind of put the hype over the top. You know, he, he won rookie of the year of four games, whereas you had other players who was consistently running well throughout the entire over the season. season. Gurley wasn't. <laughs> Gurley wasn't. You know, it was the hype of being the number 10 draft pick and coming off the knee injury and to have those first four games. That's what did it. But you haven't seen him get better. You know, in those first four games, holes were huge. <laughs> I don't know why they were so afraid of the, the pass game, but no one was really playing in the box. I mean, we saw gaping, gaping holes. I always think back to the Cardinals game, his his coming out party, that his second game that he played in during the season. I I, I the first because he only played like four snaps the week before against Pittsburgh. But in that right. Cardinals game, his first big run – I think went for 21 yards, and the hole was unbelievable. It was sort of it was a rap play where you pulled the guard and you had Corey Harkey line up in the backfield, and he went with him. And they fake they they fake pull to the they go to that the left, but he's actually running to the right. So he's running to the weak side, and it's just a gaping hole. No one's there to protect it. And then you've seen them run that play like four times in that game, and he gassed them each time, you know. And so I I, I literally look back on that and I say, okay. It wasn't so much of Gurley just being a good running back or having great vision or just killing them. It was just they caught him off guard. <laughs> you know, they, but then when teams got the got the the, uh, the tape on him after four games, you never saw it again. It, the scary thing is he still has not gotten better at figuring it out, and that's why I say is it time to really consider looking at running backs? Here's You're not going to get better. You can't stick around. Sure, absolutely, and especially a position like running back, that's very, very easy to replace on the cheap. The one thing I would say is a lot of people use this excuse, the idea of, oh, he needs an offensive line and, oh, he needs a passing game to open up things, the same way people were making those similar excuses for Jared Goff. Oh, he needs a better offensive system. He needs a better offensive line. He needs better wide receivers. He needs all this. If you need all that stuff just to be confident, you're not that good in the first place. If, you, if exactly. you're a good enough running back, you don't need you don't need Pro Bowl offensive line. You don't need the best offensive line in the NFL just to be able to put up a decent game running, right? If you need all that, then you're replaceable because anybody can anybody. If you get a great offensive line with a good passing game, you don't need a talented running back. You can get by with a decent one. And so that, that I think the part of the problem is people are starting to make that excuse more and more, and that's indicative kind of of the problem is that if Gurley needs a plus offensive line and a plus passing game just to put in a decent performance, that might be the biggest uh, problem that we're facing uh, for Todd Gurley overall moving forward. Um, speaking of moving forward, we, man, you know what? And we, we, had some, and we uh, answered two birds. With one, we killed two birds with one stone with that. We got Gurley and we answered Keon Monroe's question from Twitter. So there you go. <laughs> Good. There you go, my man. Um, speaking of uh, making moves for the future, we have some personnel moves. Rams restructured uh, Johnny Hecker's deal, extended him for another two years through 2022. Yep. Ethan Westbrooks for another year. These are little tiny deals, which seem to suggest that the Rams are trying to make room for something. Yes, they I think are. It's kind of obvious oh, yeah. what it what it might be. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know the man has returned, <laughs> and I think when they're making tiny moves, you know they they didn't go to Tavon Austin and say, "Hey, can you restructure your contract for us and convert some of that into a signing bonus so we can create a huge but huge amount of space." They're doing little tiny things. And, you know, I mentioned it in our group earlier, I, right after the Ethan Westbrook, I, said, I was like, don't be surprised when we start seeing some more of these just today and throughout the next week or two 
where they're creating this little gap of space because I think what it is is, and no one really knows the details, so this is pure speculation on my end. No one knows the details of the contract talks with Aaron Donald, but I, I, we do know that they've made him a, a pretty hefty offer, which wasn't good enough. And when you start seeing little tweaks, it makes you think that they're only a couple million away, and these little tweaks is to create that space, get to that couple million to satisfy what it is he wants, and then move forward with a, uh, with a contract. I really wouldn't be surprised if we see Aaron Donald sign to extension before this month is over. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, um, I, I didn't foresee him rejoining the team uh, before the bye. So, you know, the fact <laughs> that he did took me off guard in the first place. So at this point, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the, the, move, the move suggests something's close. Here's what, here's what I would say. What, what took so long, man? What, what? Uh, I mean, yeah, you remember uh, Half Baked? You remember that Dave Chappelle movie from about what twenty years ago? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a great scene in Half Baked where uh, the friends go to Harlan Williams' character in jail to tell him of their plan to be able to make enough money to break him out, and he says, "Well, yeah, that's good. What are you, what are you doing here? Go, do, go do it. Yeah, was it like right. oh, restructuring Westbrooks and heck, great. Why didn't you? You could have done this in June, but." I think it's great. Yeah. yeah, if that's what you need to do, just go do it. What if, if there's a pathway to sign Aaron Donald? I don't know what took you know till mid September to get there, but I guess you know better better later than never. But it's one of those things where uh, until we get maybe an oral history, I don't I don't know what took so long. But hopefully they'll get it done and we'll get them on the field because the Rams. Let's look ahead to the uh, upcoming schedule. They got uh, some interesting games ahead. You got the McDavid. Uh, Right, coming up uh, Sunday, September seventeenth against Washington. That'll be at home. Well, let's skip the attendance talk. I don't. I don't. Do you have? I'm. I'm <laughs> going to try to put it into a piece tomorrow. Is there anything you want to say about the intent, the attendance that's been so roundly panned by the national media? The only thing I would say about it is that it's more evidence that while we, you and I, we say that we're not putting the rims in win now with Sean McVay's first season. I think L.A. is. <laughs> you know, um, the, the entire point of moving back to L.A. was that it was a lucrative deal for the owner, for the team, for the franchise. But if you're not getting support from the that's kind of not going to be the case. Um, it is indeed win now for L.A., the city of L.A. As you can see, they came into this season not expecting anything. And just because they won yesterday, I still don't expect them to be packing the stadium in the next home game. Uh, I think it's going to take a couple of very convincing wins to fill it up. So it, it is it is something that stands out to me, that's going to stand out to me every week, what's the stadium looking like. But like I said, you're going to be covering it tomorrow. I'm going to wait, <laughs> hold off, see how, see how it goes some more. But it is it's something that I'm keeping my eye on and I'm probably going to keep mentioning to see how it goes. Uh, here's all I'll say. Uh, the Rams have won four games in Los Angeles in the last – 23 years. Yeah. Uh, the Rams have not had a winning season in the last 14 years. And expecting the people in Los Angeles to either A, not know those two facts, or B, ignore them is silly. Move on! <laughs> uh, so we got week two. We got the McVeigh Bowl. McVay Bowl. The McBay. McVeigh, McVeigh. They're interchangeable. It's hard to say, though, when you got Bowl after it. The McVeigh Bowl. Coming week two, then a two-game road trip, San Francisco and Dallas. Uh, what do you think about Washington? I mean, obviously, we're gonna, it's still early in the week. We usually start turning the page around Wednesday to go from recapping the last game to previewing the next one. 
I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about Washington yet. Uh, what have you been bouncing around? You know, a part of me, uh, and I've, I've been actually thinking about this since the uh, they hiring happened, and I'm like, oh, crap, we played a risk. <laughs> My first thought was this is probably going to be a defensive shootout. Uh, they know each other's offense. So well, uh, the offenses are pretty much identical, and you you have to assume that facing Sean McVay's offense because the, the the defense didn't really lose a lot for the Redskins. Uh, facing his defense for three years in camp every day, <laughs> uh, the defense has to be pretty used to some things. He's gonna ha- probably have to get pretty creative to hit them with some new things, show some things that they haven't seen yet. Um, use weapons in ways that they didn't use them in in Washington and vice versa. Uh you know that you know that he knows Jay Gruden's mind. He he talks about he talked about it yesterday, how close he is with the Gruden family and how much they mentor him and uh how much how much alike they are you know, the offenses. He even said when Derek Carrier came over, the offense is the same as it was in in Washington. He didn't even deny it. You know, so you have to respect the two coaches to try to make some tweaks, but I don't think there's any way possible you're going to change everything about your offense in the next three days because you only practice three days during the during the, during the season. You know, so they uh, I think it's going to be kind of a defensive uh, shootout uh, where you're going to have probably a game where both teams are, you know, it's going to be a, a twenty to seventeen sort of game, and it's going to it's going to come down to the wire. I think. Two things. Number one, uh, Jared Goff for the entirety of his career is going to be tied to the hip to Carson Wentz. They went number one, number two in the draft quite, uh, I don't know if it's ironically, conveniently. Uh, Carson Wentz and the Eagles played Washington last week. And yeah. the lines were very similar to what the Rams put out against the Colts. Carson Wentz ended up with 307 yards to Jared Goss, what, 306. Uh, yeah. Wentz had two touchdowns, though, with a pick. And in the running game, LeGarrette Blunt had 14 runs for 46 yards. They ended up with 30 points. So it's not all that dissimilar from what we saw from the Rams offense. And I think, uh, you know, it's a good barometer. Well, you know, that may be the defense. Yeah, that's I'm just saying that that might be the defense, the difference week one to week two. Yeah, the difference was simply the defense scored 16 points for the Rams and they didn't for the the Eagles. So that that is pretty, pretty funny that they're so similar. And the other thing to consider was what Washington did on offense. It was almost all in the passing game. Uh, Kirk Cousins was 23 for 40, so he just misfiring a ton. Uh, only had one touchdown, also only had one interception, but it was the ground game that was even more worrisome for them. Rob Kelly had 10 rushes for 30 yards, and Chris Thompson had four yards on three rushes. Philadelphia absolutely shut down the running game. So I think what's going to be interesting is uh, if we see something similar from Wade Phillips' defense in this second rollout, because Washington quite clearly was not prepared to deal with uh, Philadelphia's defense. And I think if we're looking at a Rams defense that's going to need to lead the way, that's probably going to need to be what we see again in week two. Yeah. I would agree with that 100%. There you go. So big game coming week two, Washington, and then looking ahead, uh, like I said, San Francisco, Dallas on the road, home against Seattle, on the road against a very interesting Jacksonville team that had a hell of a week one performance. Uh, may need to recalibrate some expectations there. <laughs> defense looks strong. Defense looks very strong. But look at—I mean, look at who they drafted the last two, three they years. Were, they were, yeah, the defense. <laughs> they look nasty. They were look very, nasty. very fast. And come out of Jacksonville, and we get that last week seven game in London. That's a home game in London against Arizona. 
looking forward. Going to be very interesting, but obviously with a great result in week one, things looking pretty comfy. Uh, before we start wrapping this up, man, we got to look at the minor leagues. College football, week two. That was a hell of a week. That was a hell of a <laughs> Part of the problem was every, all the games came on within like 45 minutes of each other. So my, my team, North Texas, was playing SMU. I had to watch the Safeway Bowl. That started at 7 o'clock Eastern time. And within like 30 minutes, I was like, oh, crap, everything's on right now. Yeah. It was a it was a jam packed day. You know what though? I personally enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a, it was a relaxing day to just kick back, watch some football. But more and more more uh, interesting was to, to watch some of the key matchups that you were that you know you wanted to really really dive into after last week's. For example, USC. I wanted to see how they were going to play because I thought they were going to lose to Western Michigan yeah. for about three quarters <laughs> uh, last sure. week, and then then they come out this week. And they really, really was clicking. And Sam Darnold, he he was just kind of on fire, wasn't he? He was just letting it rip. And I was just like, okay, so this is the USC that I think a lot of people was projecting uh, with Sam Darnold back there. Uh, they looked much better. And of course, Rado does. He was he was awesome. I love the way that he runs. And then um, and Stephen Carr, Stephen Carr, Stephen yeah. Carr topped hundred yards too. Yeah, they were they were they were not three hundred seven rushing yards, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they they was really 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 not playing around with anyone. Like they was on a mission that day. So that's why I say I was I was pleasantly surprised personally. Um, and then uh, I looked at the uh, Georgia and Notre Dame game. I really actually like the uh, what is his name. Uh, the Georgia quarterback. I don't know why I just forgot his name. Frome. Oh, Jake Frome. Um, yeah, I like Jake Frome. Um, I, I thought that he he got it together in the most clutch time of the game. <laughs> After a really rocky game, he didn't really look good at most of the game. He really, I really like what I saw. I thought that was a pretty pretty good game. It was. I like those games where it's not so much in college. I'm talking. Because in college you expect scoring, you know. But I like those games where it's not so much defense, but they're not too crazy offense. Like you have back when Oregon was good, you know, they go out there and put up seventy game points a game. That's no, I don't want all that. You know, I like the good contested match where you got to see both sides really go at it. And the Georgia Notre Dame game, man, they that was a battle to the end. I I personally love that game, and you know, they ended on the field goal with like three minutes left. It was enough time for Notre Dame to go score. And I, I was kind of thinking in my head that they were going to go score uh, because the um, Wimbush, he kind of got it clicking in the fourth quarter as a quarterback for Notre Dame. You know, he got it clicking. So I like that game. But then, of course, you know, I have to talk about it because I told you this was the game I was looking forward to. Oklahoma and Ohio State. Who the hell saw that coming? <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma brought it, didn't they? <laughs> Well, and the thing was they brought it in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was still it was Oklahoma was down uh, thirteen to ten halfway through the third, and then they scored that touchdown late in the third quarter, seventeen thirteen. But then they just dominated the final period, and it really it really came down to line play. O- Ohio State's got a phenomenal defensive line, and it just wasn't good enough. Uh, o- Oklahoma's offensive line. I don't know if anybody's seen Orlando Brown yet. Left tackle. He's uh, he's dominant. He's um, one of the more dominant prospects I've seen at offensive tackle in a while. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's somewhat limited in what he can do, but what he does, he does incredibly well. And he's going to make uh, somebody's run offense very, very happy when he gets an approach. What, what's interesting is Ohio State lost all, almost all, I think it was all their starting quarterbacks and all their starting wide receivers to the NFL 
And this game just showed, and it doesn't matter that JT Barrett, JT Barrett, the quarterback for Ohio State, has experience. That experience just didn't matter. He didn't have the targets, and the cornerbacks just didn't live up to uh, the challenge when you got somebody like Baker Mayfield, quarterback in for Oklahoma, and uh, really came down to that last period, and they just weren't up to the challenge whatsoever. Uh, really interesting. Now, one game that I watched earlier that day, and – as, who was it? Greg McElroy, former uh, quarterback at Alabama, yeah. was doing the commentary. Said it at the beginning of the game. There, as much as look, I like Sam Darnold as much as the next person. There's no question who the best player in college football is, and it's the guy who won the Heisman last year. Lamar Jackson <laughs> threw for almost 400 yards and three touchdowns, and he ran for 132 with another three rushing touchdowns. He scored <laughs> six touchdowns. With 530-something yards of I, offense, man. I got, it, I got an even better stat for you, okay? Because <laughs> when they said it, I was like, well, I guess he's going to win the Heisman again. <laughs> they go, well, Lamar Jackson already has over 1,000 yards. And the game wasn't even over. This is only the second game. <laughs> so, in like, in like seven quarters of football, he put together 1,000 yards of offense. <laughs> Like, By himself, and that don't 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 think that he's a product of a system or that oh the, the opposite of what we were talking about with Todd Gurley oh he's got all these awesome targets around him no nah, this is just dude he does it. this is yeah. just dude going dude there. Is just a freak <laughs> he's just a freak so oh, when they said I say this now it, for people listening like, really it's not right he's very 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 gifted for people listening <laughs> you need to mark it off this Saturday. You're going to have time. You need to make time if you don't have time. It's coming on 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. on the West Coast. Number three, Clemson at number 14, Louisville. This is the game to properly evaluate uh, Lamar Jackson for his second year in college going up against a phenomenal Clemson team that, you know, won the championship. And even though they lost to Sean Watson, Mike Williams, a bunch of other talent, came in a little bit underrated to start the season. They got a big win against Auburn in week two. And now they've got yeah. a maybe a bigger challenge. Auburn's got a hell of a defense. They've got a great team. But you're facing Lamar Jackson. You're facing the most electric, most talented player in college football. Uh, this is going to be must-watch TV. Real quick, I'm going to say this. Um, the, as far as, you know, we, we, you know me, I'm always scouting. And as far as talking about running backs and stuff, one running back that I was really looking forward to seeing coming into this season, he's really, really stepping up, and I, which I expected because he had a lot of playing time last year. And that's LSU's running back Darius Geis. The kid Darius Geis, man. Flat out run. He can run the ball. And you saw it when Leonard Fournette was hurt and he came in. He's phenomenal. Honestly, he looked, he looked more explosive than Fournette. Not as powerful, still pretty powerful, but more explosive. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this season goes. He's somebody I'm keeping my own. I'm keeping my own a lot of backs because Todd Gurley is really – He can fly. He's making me say <laughs> – he's making me say, we're going to see yeah. how he said. We'll see how this, the rest of the season goes. But I'm preparing. So, But uh, Darius got – No, Darius guys can fly. The, pro- the problem for LSU is their schedule early on is so garbage. They played BYU to open the season, which, okay, it's non-conference. It's not the worst non-conference opponent. Then they had Chattanooga yeah. this weekend. Then they got Mississippi yeah. State, then Syracuse, Troy. So it's like, <laughs> ugh, you got to fast forward to October before they even get into some real games where you can evaluate the talent on the squad because it's an incredibly talented roster. But by the time you get to October, at Florida versus Auburn, at Old Miss, at Alabama, okay, fine. That's those are going to be the games that we're going to watch LSU. So for LSU, just keep Darius guys healthy, please, until October. Real quick. Just, Maybe Real just, quick, you know you what, see, just sit him. Sit him for the next three games. 
Real quick, by any chance, did you see the third and ninety at ninety three yards? I did. Play Who was it? Boise State <laughs> <laughs> against Louisiana Tech. It was miss, It was a Mississippi State Louisiana Tech, and I'm sitting That's there the watching this thing. play, and I could not stop laughing. <laughs> it was, was just like, for oh, people who didn't God. see it. It was second and goal, and then uh, <laughs> oh, fumble the, off the snap, oh, like the and it just. <laughs> It, uh, it was a little bit of Keystone like Cops. <laughs> <laughs> it was very rugby ish. You don't see third and 93 eggs. You don't see third and 93. What I like is what do you even do for a play call? What do you like? You know, do you call, all right, uh, offensive coordinator, what's our play call for third and 93? <laughs> oh, well, let me turn you to that page in the playbook. You know what it would have just made it all worth it if they were able to get it, <laughs> if they were able to go score because it was gold. They had to score. It wasn't even a first down. Third and 93. I was like, you know what, screw it. Just punt the ball. <laughs> On third down. They might as well. It. You know, worth it. And you want to know the truth? I, I'd be like, I'd put it like this. The chances are greater than zero that Nick Saban has a play call for third and 93. There's a play that he thought of like eight years ago. I've been waiting to break this one out. Go ahead and pull up old old 93, boys. (laughs) There's probably a really, really good coach out there that's got one. (laughs) Just waiting for his chance. Or Urban Meyer, one of those guys got something stashed away. (laughs) But, yeah, the uh, uh, – (laughs) <laughs> schedule this weekend relatively light in terms of big matchups. So if you want to go spend some time with your family, it's a good time to do it. Tennessee, Florida, uh, that's at 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 on the West Coast. That'll be a good one if you want to watch. Two uh, very confusing teams that uh, don't really know what they can do quite yet. Um, but it's always a fun rivalry, so you can see that one. That'll be in the swamp. So that'll be on CBS and then obviously the big game night. Clemson and Louisville. Yep. And then we get into week two, man, week two of the NFL Los Angeles, Washington, validation game. It's a validation game to figure out, okay, is Jared Goff and the offense really going to be able to do this? Is the defense really going to be this good? Do we really need to worry about the Todd Gurley in the rushing game this much? What, we don't really need to ask questions about special teams. We didn't even mention them. How good are the Rams special teams, man? It's the best in the NFL. I've been saying that for years now. <laughs> I stand by that statement. I still continue to stand by it. And you know what? The thing is, there's, there's two key components, you know, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and say three because he's earned it. He's back in that conversation. The guy that's back in that conversation is Greg Zerline. You know, he's not been talked about because of that year he had two years ago that was terrible. Yep. He had the yips. You know what the yips are. Right you know, when you just get psyched out by yourself and you just cannot get out of it, it's the phrase usually used in golf where, where you have a bad day and it just snowballs. That's what happened. And it happened again, the Redskins. <laughs> you know, he missed that extra point. And then after that, he kept missing, and he kept missing, and he kept missing. I think he missed five kicks in total. None of them were – like three of them was like extra points, wasn't it? So that yeah, happened, somewhere. and then it's almost like no one talked about him anymore. Before that, he was the man. He was he was Legatron. He was Jeezy, you know, young Jeezy. Um, but he's been very efficient. He was very efficient last year, and he looked really good kicking the ball yesterday. So I, I would say, you know, he's – He's pushed his way back to the conversation as far as uh, being part of the why the special teams are so good because you know that you have a kicker that can hit that kick. But then you look at uh, what Johnny Hecker does. I get excited. I don't know about other people, but this is one of the few punters that can get you excited <laughs> when he comes on. And uh, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet from uh, Pat McAfee 
where he was That's recording Hacker punt, punted, and he says he, he points out something I don't think anyone knew that wasn't a punter out before yesterday until he said it, and he goes. I, will, I would love to know how many people ball. knew what a banana punt was. Like, how many how many people in America knew what a banana punt was? Maybe fifty. Well, I guess maybe there's more than that in the punting community in America. How many humans in America knew what a banana punt was? I don't think any. I had never heard that term in my life. <laughs> this is a game that I have been around for 24 years, studied the hell out of. I've never heard that term once in my life. But and what's interesting about it is, Pat McAfee, the way he put it was, this is something that punters only try and practice, as in this is not some stuff you bring to the game. And Hacker goes out there and absolutely nails it. And I'm just like, this dude is a phenomenal. Like, I, I said this to myself out loud. <laughs> I go, if punters were more valued in the NFL, Johnny Hacker would be a top 20 player. <laughs> Those are my exact words. <laughs> if they're more valued, Johnny Hacker is a top 20 player in the NFL. He's that good at what he does. So you got Johnny Hecker, you got Greg Zerline, and then of course the one the one mainstay that's been there throughout this entire turnaround of the Rams special teams, John Fossil. John Fossil is really, really, really good at his job, and you can hear it when he talks. When he talks about special teams, that's an excited dude. He loves what he does. So John, you you, you got those three key components: John Fossil, Greg Zerline, and Johnny Hecker. The Rams have the best special teams in the NFL, bar none. What do you got, Joe? Did we lose Joe? Oh, okay. All right, well, anyway, <laughs> until Joe gets back from his uh, technical difficulties, make sure you're not on mute, Joe. But, uh, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so we, we've talked about our uh, college football. One thing I want to say real quick before we get out of here is, one thing that about this upcoming week that I think everyone should kind of be uh, weary of, if the Rams go out there and they kill it, uh, Sean McVay goes out there and he wins the McVay Bowl, goes out there, shows that he's surpassed the teacher and Jay Gruden, and they have just a great game. I think everyone should be cautious of um, saying that this is the rival game because this is going to be a bigger, obviously a bigger test than uh, what the Colts had. Um, You know, you got a much healthier team, a much better team, just overall talent that they have and everything. This is going to be a better matchup. You know, if they go out there and kill it, it's still very early in the season. The Rams haven't really faced any adversity. Uh, You really don't know what's going to happen down the road when they start seeing the injuries, seeing things piling up, things like that. So when those things happen, I think that's when you really get a taste of uh, exactly – what it is that you have here, what it is that you're working with, how good can they really be? Till then, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty interesting, interesting ride. So far, I'm liking what I see. Joe, we got you back. Yeah, what the hell happened there? Was that you? Was uh, that the terrorists? Was that Russia? Leave me alone, hey, Putin. You know what? It's a, it's about time that you start having some of the technical differences that I have, but it's cool. It's cool. It's all good. <laughs> Who am I to judge? It was you. It was you. It was you. you need to you need to drag me down to your level. That's you. I do. I need to drag somebody. I'm about to drag everyone listening. <laughs> if I can't have a laptop, nobody can. How about that. <laughs> hey, look, there ain't nothing for me to call in back to say we covered it all. Week two coming up. <laughs> Gonna be good stuff. What do we got? Anything from you, man? 
Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be uh, getting in some, uh, some more scouting stuff for the, the Redskins. I just touched on it a little bit when we lost you there, um, the, the McBay Bowl and being weary of, the, you know, this is probably the, the first real test. I think it's fair to say that since the Colts wasn't. <laughs> but now you get this first real test. Being weary of they go out, if they go out there and really show up, all of a sudden, writing it off as McVeigh has arrived, you know, because they, there hasn't been any injuries or anything like that. So we'll see as we go down the line. But I'm definitely going to be covering that uh, this week, just kind of expectations as well as going over the scouting reports. There you go. What do you got? Ain't nothing to it but to get to it. <laughs> right. All right. Looks like we, we covered it all. We got anything before we get out of here, Joe? Go Rams! You can talk over the outro. You don't. This ain't the Grammys. They don't have to play you off, man. I thought you were about to. I thought you were about to start your, your riddle thing. You know, I pause for a second to let you get that in. <laughs> That's at the end of the song. We don't praise. We don't praise Satan until the end of the song. <laughs> Well, real quick, before we get out of here, make sure that you follow me on Twitter, Mighty or Mike, and you go get Joe at 3K underscore. Got to get the underscore. <laughs> the pointless that I thought was a good story underscore. <laughs> 3K <laughs> underscore. Also follow the site, Turf Show Time. Follow on that. We out. This is Big Bad Jackie, and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down, so nobody score. And don't you worry, because the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to Jackson. We can't sing, and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hampton, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zeta. Nobody dresses with it. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreat. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming until I put them on the back. This limousine with it. My moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night.
I like Cooper Cup. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.